Hey there, folks. This is Cross here, uh, clocking in a little bit on this episode to just give a brief explainer. So, uh, you are not going to be hearing today the Hero of Ages finale that we had recorded with uh, Michelle from the 17th Shard. Instead, I've got a little episode for you from PJ's Symposium of Media and Whimsy. Uh, here to fill its place. To give you a brief explainer on what exactly happened, Riverside, the company that we use to do some of our remote recordings with guests, uh, ended up having a big kind of error uh, to the point of the CEO coming out and apologizing for it. And unfortunately, we weren't able to get the fixed and repaired audio in time for the release. And uh, supposedly, we should be getting it sometime in the next day or two. And at that point, when I receive the kind of fixed and repaired audio, we will get that out to you. So be it Saturday, Sunday, Monday, whatever, you'll have that bonus episode and Alloy of Law and everything else will be completely on track. Uh, again, totally apologize, but here's a little taste of one of our Patreon bonus shows that you can get at the Bartender or Mixologist tier. Uh, so this is just a little taste of PJ's Symposium of Media and Whimsy. We hope you enjoy it. Um, and like I said, we will be back next week with both the first episode of Alloy of Law and, fingers crossed, the Era 1 wrap-up with the 17th Shard. See you guys on the other side. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to PJ's Symposium of Media and Whimsy, a very fun show where I get to drag Crossland through shit rather than the other way around. I'm one of your hosts, PJ. Hey there, this is Cross, and welcome to Words and Whiskey, a podcast about uh, media and whimsy. Just kidding. We're going to be talking about Sons of Aries, the comic books by Pierce Brown today, both of them all at once. Because we keep saying this at the end of every podcast and then going with a different guest that has finally gotten back to us for timing. Uh, yep. Yep, you're a dick. Uh, that's not <laughs> what we're talking about today. <laughs> today we, what do you read? Mm, uh, did you read? Did you, did you watch the wrong thing? I, I watched the comic book and the comic yep. book did not move. Let me tell you what. It was a really <laughs> slow two hours. <laughs> Today, we are talking about a, another movie that Crossland hasn't actually seen. Uh, but I have but now. He has now. That's true. <laughs> uh, but I consider it to be one of my favorite films. It's Wes Anderson's The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. I think we're going to hit on a lot of the big story beats and overarching concepts um, and spark some conversation with some quotes throughout the film. So that's kind of the way I've structured this. It's very loosey-goosey compared to our other notes usually, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. That's acceptable and reasonable. Might I lead off with, before we talk about anything else, how funny it is that Ned's name is an N and Zisu is a Z and, like, the different Latin, like, Z and N, it's a sideways and it's, yeah. it feels very intentional. It works out for the flag at the end. Yeah. 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 It ends up it ends up working out exactly as it should. Well, um, except for yes. the deaths. Uh, <laughs> That's I mean, fair point. Before we murders actually dive too deep into this, though, let's get into some cocktail cock. What you what you drinking this fine afternoon? 
I am having an old fashioned today. This there is just go. very straightforward. I have it's been a very busy day. Um, spent the better part of four hours today streaming with Adam for charity for Extra Life. Uh, recorded an episode of Hard Pan this morning with Andrew, and now here I am recording the last thing of the day, the episode of uh, of Pedro Symposium with you. So yeah. Perfect. And in between, you know what I did? I watched Steve Zissou, Life Aquatic. Uh, <laughs> that's been my entire day. There you go. Uh, any beer to follow it up or just the old fashioned? Just a, a thickum, a thickum old Holy fashioned. Shit. <laughs> it's thick. That's, I don't have any beer one. in the house at the moment. I have not had time to go shopping. It's been very busy this weekend. It's all good. I, you say that. What are you drinking? I wanted to make a cocktail mentioned in the show or in the movie called mm. a rum cannonball, but I didn't have any of the ingredients for any of the recipes I found online. So instead I made a cocktail that I'm sure exists, but I don't know what the name of it is. So I'm calling it the Belafonte. It is two ounces of white rum, an ounce of triple sec, half an ounce of simple syrup, the juice of half a lime. So about, about an ounce, I guess probably. Mm-hmm. Three dashes of orange bitters, a splash of orange juice, all of that shaken. Um, I served it over a big ice cube because tiki shit. And so it stays cold throughout the episode. And then um, garnished it with two cocktail cherries representing the research dolphins. So (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I had maraschinos. I should have dumped two in here for the the turtles, but, you know. (laughs) There you go. Um, that would have been good. I am following that up with a double IPA from Transient Ale, uh, Artesian Ales called Ultra Moist. So it doesn't give me a Ultra whole lot of information moist. other than that. I'm not sure what the hop bill is. It's 8% ABV, one pint, cool blue pattern. Okay. That's about it. So that's what I've got following the Belafonte. Zabelafante. Zabelafante. Excellente. With that, I think we'll start talking about the film. First and foremost, what did you think of the movie? All overall. Before we do that, you son of a bitch, every time, we gotta do the summary. So, oh, yes! Life I Aquatic. Forget. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, directed by Wes Anderson, written by Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach. Our summary here is renowned oceanographer Steve Zissou, played by Bill Murray, has sworn vengeance upon the rare shark that devoured a member of his crew. In addition to his regular team, he is joined on his boat by Ned Owen Wilson, a man who believes Zissou to be his father, and Jane, Kate Blanchett, a journalist pregnant by a married man. They travel to sea all off all too often running into pirates and perhaps more traumatically various figures from Zisu's past, including his estranged wife, Eleanor, played by Angelica Huston. Interestingly enough, I feel like the summary actually okay, A, incredibly hard to summarize this movie. Cannot I do not behoove whoever had to try to write that. Um But I mean Eleanor is everywhere in the story variously like she pops up all the time but I would say that like it's almost it's almost disingenuous to say that like it's she's a traumatic figure from his past although she does bring up a lot of of his kind of fuck ups and mistakes over the course of the movie so there 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 are components there it's more like he's a traumatic character of her past and she got fed up and left halfway through the movie I don't know if I'd call her estranged even at this point yeah yeah estranged feels 
I mean, huh. What else do you the, say, the passage, though? Without, the like... passage of time is also very loosey-goosey in this movie. That's true. Like, you can't tell if it's all happening over the course of, like, a day or what. Like, there are moments where we'll go from, like, the ship and, we oh, we have to go to, like, go raid this thing. And then it's, like, set sail. And, like, all of a sudden we're there. And it's, like, well, how did that did that take any, any time? Anyway, um, that's not what we're here to talk about right away. We'll talk about that maybe mm-hmm. later. Um, but, yeah, first and foremost, did I like the movie? Is that yeah. was that the first yeah. question? So I feel like we've we've talked about Wes's work before, Wes Anderson's other films, yeah. and I know you like those, but I don't I don't know if you've ever I know you haven't seen this, so I have no idea what you're expecting going into this and whether or not you actually enjoyed it. Uh, th- so this this is an interesting question, right? Because you had actually called me earlier today probably to ask, you know, some general thoughts about how I felt about the movie. And instead, I quoted the line that was just said to me back to you um, about including him on the on the flag, uh, including Klaus on the flag anyway. Um, so in the end, at the very end of this movie, the end of this movie was actually very cathartic in a lot of ways that I wasn't expecting. Um, but I'll, I'll get back around to it. Did I enjoy this movie in comparison to other Wes Anderson movies? Yes. And it feels like it is an earlier project in his life. But at the same time, it feels so good and interesting that I have a tough time discerning like where I'd even place it inside of my headcanon for uh, Wes Anderson. Um, mm-hmm. Did I like it? Yeah. Was it perfectly funny all the time? No. Did the begin was the beginning slower on average than a lot of Wes Anderson, more so than a lot of the other ones that I've seen. Um, so that's fair. But I did it did reward a re- rewatch at the beginning, and you kind of have a better understanding of Zisu's character. I just don't feel like we get a good grasp of him right away um, as to how like floundering and flubby he really is. He seems self-serious and you kind of take him as like, Oh, so you are a serious guy. And then you kind of get into the character more and it's like, Oh, you're a fuck up who doesn't even know the difference between a jellyfish and a man of war. Like you don't know anything. <laughs> you <laughs> documentarian oceanographer. That's worthless. Basically. When, um, when Eleanor leaves, he's like, who's going to remember all the Latin names for all the fishes and shit. I can't remember all of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the fact that Eleanor paid for, like, all of the library on the inside of the ship, too, and, like, made sure that it was all stocked up with everything, you know, mm-hmm. of course, it just shows kind of, it feeds into sort of his ignorance, and that's that ends up being the point, really, like, that ends up kind of being um, a, a core a core thing with his character is sort of the, um, it, it's not really a midlife crisis, but sort of a, a middle-age creative depression or, like, end-of-career kind of thing, and... That that makes for a very interesting conversation. In the end, I did really enjoy the movie. I think it will only get funnier with time. There are also other lines that are just straight up not funny now. Um, yeah, that's like there, absolutely there's some true. like there's some very clear like Wes Anderson does shock with lines from time to time with like sort of their their clarity and it's also to give you a sense of the character. And in hindsight, once we're done with the movie, you know, we get kind of a a jabby joke that the reason that he was making kind of the the gay jokes the way that he was was because he himself is identifies as a little bit gay um and so it's like okay that doesn't that just makes it different not necessarily better you know but that's yeah. that's not the biggest it's not the biggest complaint or criticism it just felt the most poorly aged of the whole thing but yeah um i wouldn't even say i guess yes 
that's probably the the biggest point. There is a line towards the end where Allie is saying something about like, well, that's because I'm partially gay. Yeah. And Zisu responds with, well, supposedly all of we, supposedly we all are. Right. Um, which I feel like redeems it a little bit, but yeah, that's, still, that's kind of what I was trying to still, get at there is yeah, like, I think yeah, that yeah. that's the intent, um, is to kind of make up because it's mostly him that's making the jokes. So it makes, uh, it, it, it is character centric in its own way, but it's not, right. you know? Yeah. Um, that said, like there are tons of funny moments. There are tons of like perfect one-liners. There's some, obviously Wes Anderson has some very stark, um, filmography techniques that are very kind of unique and impressionistic to him. This movie was, uh, had them. And then at the same time had entire scenes that I actually can't believe that Wes Anderson shot because they didn't seem like a Wes Anderson. Like there were, there were portions of this, like the entire hotel hotel bit is shot like an action movie all of a sudden. Yeah. And it's like, Whoa, that's, that's a jarring change. I can't believe that like you can do that. Um, but also, Mm -hmm. you know, it's well done. Good on you. Yeah. Yeah. So you made a point earlier today on our phone call that mm-hmm. I had heard the I, I had heard this comment before, but I'd never actually dug into it. Um, yes, that this is Wes Anderson's movie about movie making, film about yeah. filmmaking, and that to me, looking at it from that sort of perspective, makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. With essentially the uh, especially the beginning scene of Steve in the in the audience with them kind of hating his film. And him having kind of a crisis about it and his progression through to the point where at the end of the film, it seems like the film does well. He's got like an Oscar style trophy and he's just sitting outside, doesn't give a shit, takes Werner Werner on his on his shoulders for a piggyback mm-hmm. ride and just walks down the street without any sort of fanfare. Yeah. Leaves the trophy. You know? Yeah, leaves the trophy. Yeah. Notably. So, um, yeah, and that's that's where like the movie really that's where I said like this movie ended very cathartically where I felt that release and I was like, oh, shit, that's great. That's a great like character arc for him independently, mm -hmm. which is interesting because this movie is also a series of vignettes. And I do want to get back to the movie making thing that we brought up, you know, kind of the that. Um, But this movie is a series of vignettes. Right. And there are different scenes, different moments. As much of a spine of this movie can be defined as like the quasi father son relationship that happens between Ned and Steve and sort of Steve realizing what he was missing. You could also say that if we transpose the filmmaking lens on it, an idea is kind of like Ned is an idea. It's a part of the creative process. Steve becomes obsessed with that idea, fights with that idea, figures out ways to make that idea work for him. And it sometimes pushes back and works against him. And then in the end, it's, it's death when it's completed, when, when everything is said and done, it is, it is not fully rewarding for him, but he's learned something and other people appreciate it. And that's sort of the, the filmmaking lens, so far as I can understand it, without even talking about the obvious like search for funding and, and some of the other stuff that is very like surface. Um, mm-hmm. it, like if you if you view it, the story is like Steve is the is the writer or director, and you view Ned as the project or the spark of inspiration that arrives at his doorstep or the idea. That's that's how you can view the lens there. I'm sure there's something to be said about the death of that idea as well 
Yeah, eventually, like, you you have to give up at some point. Like, you can't just keep editing something forever. It has to come out eventually. But specifically with Ned dying, if we're going to make that comparison, yeah, with Ned dying as kind of the culmination of the end of the project, like, I don't think he completes that project properly without Ned's help and ultimately his demise. Well, I think, so, depends on if we're talking about the metaphor of the physical movie. I'm trying I'm trying to tie it to the metaphor. <laughs> yeah, okay. So the the metaphor is that the end of the story that Steve was setting out with like Ned this spark of inspiration the idea, the story that he wanted to tell, he thought was going to end with him finding the shark. But actually the story really ended when Ned died. That's when the idea was finished and he didn't realize that he was going to be drug in that direction. You you can, as, as a writer, as a creative, you can set out with the idea of my story is going to end with the ring being th- thrown in the volcano, but you might get to the volcano and realize this isn't satisfactory enough. I need to change things. Right. And so, you know, other, other things might've changed along the way. And so your end result, your goalpost moves a little bit and maybe that finish line is somewhere else. In this case, I think that, you know, for Steve, as the creative or or whoever you want to put inside of those shoes, he didn't expect for this turn to make so much sense. And then to be like the celebrated thing, because the celebration in this movie is not that of finding the shark. It is the life of Ned. Yeah. So yeah, like the, makes... the entire piece kind of changes that way, which, you know, interesting. It is. So one of, one of the things that I did want to bring up at the very least from my side of the equation is um, you mentioned earlier comparing this to other Wes Andersons that I've seen and and watched and, and kind of considered over the years because I do like Wes Anderson. Um, I should say I I often enjoy Wes Anderson. I guess like there's there's a there's a tough. Some movies are really good and some movies are really tough but are good. Like it's I I don't find myself almost always or ever rewatching Wes Anderson films with the exception of fantastic Mr. Fox. Anyway. Um, okay. Needless to say back to this. One of the things that a lot of other Wes Anderson movies do very well is they take a bunch of vignettes and then they tie them all together variously over the course of the story or in different moments elements. Um, and there's a lot of like cutting between things, even if it's just to expose something that might later be used as a dialogue point for a different character. I think of like grand Budapest Budapest hotel has a ton of those moments throughout the story where it's really just about those like individual scenes kind of laying out the life of the hotel and the kind of bellboy that interstitial interstitializes most of the story. Um, this movie Almost it is there are a series of vignettes that we kind of hop between in Steve. Oh, my God. Steve Zissou's life. Uh, and it feels like this movie almost tries to stand too upright and doesn't have enough vignettes to kind of cut between it. It's almost trying too hard to be a regular movie. And then when it cuts to a vignette, it it pulls me at like it. It weirds me out in a weird way. Um Okay. It feels imperfect. It feels like it either needed more vignettes or less. And that's sort of that's like my only really big critique, like really big critique um, is that it didn't it it didn't commit to the weird that weird enough that I would kind of not expect, but like would build up a Wes Anderson movie in the same way. And obviously, you know, we have to think about an artist's career and we can't go back and like compare the 2018 versus the 2005. Uh, that's not fair or to, to oh God, not 18. That had to be like. Grand Budapest had to be like 15, right? Or 14, maybe? 
while Ooh. ago. Yeah, regardless. Yeah, somewhere um, in there. Yeah. It feels like it just needs it just needs a small tweak in either direction. Um and I'm not sure I'm not sure what though. Not sure what. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I really enjoy those little moments of seeing the the Steve Zissou show or whatever it's actually called. Mm-hmm. Um the Steve Zissou show, I guess, is the only it's only mentioned by Klaus when he's like accosting Ned for like butting in too much. Um so I think that's what it's probably referred to as, but who knows? Yeah, I never really thought about that because I know this movie so well, but yes, I think there's not enough of them. And mm-hmm. I I am wanting for more. So I'm with you. Yeah, with you it's, it's it's interesting. What What's also interesting to me is that um, this movie is one of the few films that are co-written by um, Noah Baumbach that... Uh, he's done Noah Baumbach is a screenwriter from New York, um, married to Greta Gerwig, who's a crazy screenwriter as well. Both of them are known for something called mumblecore as a style um, of of writing where it's it's less less immediately verbose and like characters can kind of go into the, like their own like kind of quiet internal monologue. And that that happens a couple of times inside of Zsu, which is kind of why I bring it up here. You know, you might have a character like talk to themselves a little bit. Um in a very yeah. kind of quiet, mumbly life is real kind of way. He also co-wrote um Fantastic Mr. Fox with Wes Anderson. So there's there's kind of that overlap between the two. But it's it's also an and so they worked together on it which is interesting to think that they kind of built the story together. And I think that I can specifically, I could even go so far as to pick out the characters that I think that Noah Baumbach had a bigger hand in because I think Wes Anderson is much weirder than Noah is. Um, and like a lot of Ned's dialogue is, and um, Jane's are both a little bit crisper and like more clearly spoken, wherein Zisu is just fucking off the wall. And it's not just his character. It's also um, his wife, Eleanor, similarly is off the wall. Uh, and it feels like those two, that feels like mm-hmm. based on all the scripts that I've read. Noah Baumbach, you might also know for uh, Marriage Story, released in 2019 or whatever. Um, big, big old Netflix movie, it. won some Oscar awards. That's okay. cool. Um it's that whole have you seen the scene of like Adam Driver like yelling and looking like he's crying and then he like punches a wall um, okay well it's <laughs> funny kind of okay. um, it it was a big meme for a bit uh, gotcha. because it it looked fake but it was very real <laughs> uh, yeah yeah gotcha. so anyway uh, the the kind of point there being is that it, I feel like even you might be able to point more directly at the fact that Noah Baumbach was more involved with this project as to why it has more of a vertical spine as opposed to it being a little bit more vignette and disconnected. Um, okay. Because I also feel that way about Fantastic Mr. Fox. There are fewer vignettes. They're more like Fantastic Mr. Fox treats them more like I know I'm going on diatribe here and splitting up the story. Um, they're more like family guy sketches in Fantastic Mr. Fox where it just like blips away for a little bit and you see like the internal life of someone else like fucking around like a different set of animals and then you cut back like in the baseball game and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Those are that's more, you know, those are more contained. Right. These are a little bit more contained, but they can go on a little bit longer. Um, yeah, those are some thoughts. So that's a bunch um, of vomit. What would you consider to be the tour of the Belafonte? Would you consider that a vignette? Because I, I noticed something really strange about it in this read or this watch through in that 
it feels like he's addressing the audience until the end when Ned starts talking to him and asking him who Jacqueline is or what happened to Jacqueline. I do think that it is intended to be a vignette. And then that's where it cuts back to reality, right? Like that's that's one of the things that this movie does simultaneously better and just different. I wouldn't even call it worse. Just different is that a lot of the time in Grand Budapest Hotel, Moonrise Kingdom, there's just like hard cuts like a vignette ends and you flip into the next one. You get a new title card. You get a new moment. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case here. There are those moments that happen with new title cards. But yeah, I think in in this case, almost every single time the characters are watching the vignette. Yes, because they're also because actively film. filming or taking part. Right. They're so there's, watching there's the like a, there's a fourth, either they're watching the film or they're a part of the film. And so there, there's like an awareness thing where like the characters know that they're being filmed for the documentary inside of the movie, which is then like an extra layer of how do I take this person's attitude about this? Is it because is, are they acting that way because they know that they're being filmed or are they acting that way because they're quirky in general? And more often than not, I think it's because they know that they're being filmed and they're reacting that way. Um, only, only a handful of people, I would say Zisu and Ned for the most part are outside of that spectrum. But, but a lot of the other crew, like act weird when the camera's on them, but otherwise act fairly normal. Yeah, that's fair. What was the cameraman's name? God, he was great. He was oh, so funny. Oh man, there's so many lines directed towards him. Um, Vikram, Vikram, Vikram. <laughs> the snaps, <laughs> the snapping, uh, <laughs> the snapping yeah. is something that's not quite as prevalent as the like snap and whistle from um, Fantastic Mr. Fox. But you mm-hmm. do notice it quite a bit as like kind of the the thing from Zisu when he's addressing other people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the one that got me was when they're underwater, and um, obviously this gets into kind of the father son thing. But when Ned is addressing Steve, and they're going back and forth with the nicknames, right? But he snaps underwater, and it doesn't make an underwater snap when everything else in the scene is very clearly dictated by the sound as it would travel underwater. But the snap sounds like a normal above-air snap, and I'm like, you went through all of the effort, and you intentionally did that. You had to have intentionally did that, you motherfucker. You're so specific about all of the other details inside of the scene, including explaining a radio sequence. This is deadpan for a joke. This is deadpan for that joke. Absolutely. It has to be. I was simultaneously laughing and smiling and enraged (laughs) you made me try to understand so hard what they were saying with that scuba gear on and then you just snap like it's nothing because it's fucking movie magic you asshole i was also smiling though like i said it was it was like a a happy rage Mm -hmm. moment speaking of the underwater scenes though and stylistic Mm -hmm. choices i don't i don't think i even planned on bringing this up but because we've been talking so much about Fantastic Mr. Fox, what did you mm-hmm. think about the the style choice to have a lot of the sea life to be essentially claymation? PJ, do you know who did it? No. Do you know who did the animation? It mm-hmm. is no less than the guy that we spent a lot of time two weeks ago talking about, Henry Selleck, the director of Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach and Coraline. All uh, right. Did all of the claymation stop motion in this film that's awesome yep 
Yep. When I saw that pop up in the credits, I was like, that's the same guy. And then I looked it up and I was like, yep, it is the same guy. Cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I, I always it liked it. Yeah. But I never understood the choice to do it that way. I, it was fun, but. To me, it feels more metaphorical. It feels more like a metaphor, right? Because the, it feels completely different from the film metaphor, but, um, the sort of sea life metaphor is that a lot of sea life is unknown, you know, like there's a lot of unknowns when it comes to, you know, exploring the sea and all of these different things. So all of the different creatures that we see are these oddly named creatures that do not exist in reality that might have different behaviors that we don't understand, like the crayon seahorse thing. That and exists. So, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty oh, sure really? that's a real thing. Then I'm completely wrong. Um, but I, I thought that it was intended to be kind of a um, uh a play oh, maybe on. maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't that's what exist. i thought i was like i thought it was okay. all meant to be because i didn't i didn't yeah. the crab was really odd um the man of war was real but that was a real creature on the beach like those were supposed to yeah. look real uh, but all the claymation stuff i think was intended including like the jaguar shark to give it this larger than life or more dramatic than regular life feel to it so um, th- there is you know, one exception to that there's the claymation um gecko that he like flicks off his hand when he's meeting with eleanor at the uh the summer home of but Allie i still think that's like Hennessy. fantastical you know like he I does, does he call it a gecko like no he just looks at it on his hand and flicks it away yeah yeah so i guess like that's still meant to be it's still meant to be like that documentarian oddity you know okay. like i think about planet earth there's so like half of the joy of watching planet earth is all the weird creatures that you don't know that you've never seen before planet earth <laughs> Yeah, fucking love Planet Earth. I still get surprised. I've watched it like three times. It's a long series. There's like 24 hours of that shit. But, you know, like every time I give I love the fucking frogs. I love the weird birds with the weird dances. You know, that's those are that's the shit. Yeah. So this is that inside of this own its own story. Right. Like this is yeah. this is his moment where he gets to be Steve Irwin and like present something mm-hmm. to us that's unique and weird. And then he does it wrong because he doesn't fucking know anything. <laughs> And the journalist like corrects him. Like that's the yeah. Portuguese man of war. Yeah. Or no, yeah, it's a different was... man of war. I think. Because no, I, I know the. I think. I think it was called the Portuguese man of war. Okay. And then he says, "Oh, it is a man of war." Yep. How didn't yep. you know that? And he looks at someone else and <laughs> blames them for it. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe oh, maybe he says something like, "Oh, if only we would have had Eleanor around." I think that's what he said. Yeah, I would have yep. known if I would have had Eleanor around. <laughs> Mm. something like that uh All right perfectly saucy so um, good yeah so one thing that i wanted to bring up to you maybe and this this makes some sense there's like a focus on um and i think this gets into kind of the idea of like being like past your prime right which is where we find zisu in this story um but like all of the various infidelity in in this story and sort of the um, various relationship or sexual undertones throughout it. What would you make of the whole thing? What'd you make of that? Um, I know this is an odd one, but the, I've been thinking it, it about is it. an odd one and it's there and it's like right behind the focus yeah. the entire time. Um, and all I can think of is it's something kind of at the forefront of the writer the writers plural lives at the moment 
whoever whoever it is writing those 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 different pieces because it's not cohesive enough to really make an impact on the story so much but it is always there thematically yeah i mean infidelity is a huge part of zisu's life as it stands right because Mm -hmm. it was obviously a huge component um for why ned could potentially be his kid for why he's on his i i think it's just his second marriage right i think it's but i think it's just his second marriage but even Um, through that there's the scene right at the beginning after they all leave the um the showing and the q a and stuff and the woman in the very sparkly dress starts says hi to him he tries touching her says hey baby uh and then eleanor comes up and is like why why are you doing this to me and they both walk away yeah. So like yeah. that's and she also says that's like more. don't ever touch me again. Yeah. Yeah, there there's a whole lot to it with with him. There's um Jane in general, he is completely infatuated with from the jump. And right. that gets really in- strange with Ned, who is also into her. Though Pretty much everybody is, including Klaus and and some of the other crewmen. Klaus is fucking hilarious. Klaus is the gem of the entire movie, to be yeah, honest. Klaus is um, the best. Klaus is the fucking funniest character for so many reasons. I would. I this movie deserves a rewatch just to pay attention and focus in on Klaus. I don't want to skip away from the sexual stuff, but I just wanted to say that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Because so specifically, the thing with with um. Steve and all of his various relationships, we learn near the end that he's shooting blanks, right? And so that's that's kind of great for Eleanor, and that's part of the reason, like, she even makes a joke about, like, experimenting like she's a scientist, and that makes you also question if she was being promiscuous with someone else to, and then, like, had to abort a pregnancy, maybe. there's There are some, like, there were some very interesting undertones that I was not sure how to read exactly yeah. that scene and moment, Um so specifically bringing or up those the blanks, moments, I should say, bringing yeah. up the blanks thing, um, the comment where he's talking about a very, very blunt about it, um, how she wanted kids. And he's like, well, maybe you were too old at that point when we met. And she said it was worth it. I can't I can't remember the quote exactly. Uh, you're probably right along. We should have had a kid together. Of course, you were kind of already on the edge of being too old. <laughs> on the edge of being too old unless maybe that's a cop-out it's worse than a cop-out i was 34 <laughs> yeah so yeah. like what first of all what does that mean mm-hmm. i don't i don't understand that quote and maybe that's I, just me being very ignorant i think that that is intended to to say that this is that's like an early undertone right because how early does that happen that has to happen that happens um I think that happens at Hennessy's villa, so like halfway through the movie. Oh, okay, okay. So we are we are still before the overall reveal, but it is when she is with the instructor. <laughs> yeah, which is clearly, <laughs> clearly, clearly a lover. <laughs> no less that it's not Hennessy, but the fact that it is a, I think Spanish, maybe Italian lover. Um, do not do not recall has or to be Port- I, I think it might be portuguese eh. there's a lot of portuguese okay. in this film which i do want to bring that up as well yeah just because completely side note but don't let me forget yeah. that 
So so the the lover thing is a, is a, I think a huge deal for the entire story. I think that it's meant, you know, it's it's also kind of a blink and you miss it twist because that happens so quick. The way that she mentions that Steve is shooting blanks and that like Ned couldn't be the kid is so fast. It's literally a line of dialogue. And yeah. if you aren't paying attention, like a French movie is sometimes like if you aren't paying attention, you might miss something that could define an entire relationship for the entire movie. The um, first time I watched this, I I like looked away for a couple seconds and didn't realize Ned died. Yeah, I mean, like, that can happen. It's so too. fast. He does. He does pretty quick. Like that. The crash happens. Then they're talking and there's no like there's no dramatic change in background music or anything. And then they're at a very short funeral and that's it. There's a, there's a, there are two, want to get back to the sex thing again. Cause I'm not done there. I, I keep saying sex thing. It's like a marriage thing, whatever relationship yeah. thing. Anyway, um, with the camera in that scene when he's dying, right? Like you get that like single tear of blood down the screen before the next pan down when the camera goes into the water. And that's when you start to see the blood, but you get a tear before of red. And that's kind of your first real hint that like he's toast and then it's it becomes very reminiscent of the first scene where we see Esteban die when the camera dips underwater and it becomes very red. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that yeah. that was that was a thing that I caught. Super subtle, like, ah. but super well done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is also. I mean, it is interesting because the first death definitely mattered to Zisu um, and was important to Zisu, but it was also kind of you know he still felt like he had to prove something in some way, and that's where the story also kind of becomes Moby Dick in a way. But yeah, um, very much. Anyway, so. back to Jane, unless you have thoughts on the death. No, go for it. Go for it. OK, Jane is her own thing right inside of the story in a lot of ways. But I, I want to talk specifically about. So her editor is the man who impregnated her. Correct. 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 OK. And he's married, yep. but she still sends in paper to him and he responds and sends back notes. But they keep missing each other on the phone, right? Is that kind of the thing? Like, there's a weird phone tag she, thing going on? I don't think there's even phone tag. I don't think he ever calls her back. I think he, she's just sending... She's just calling and leaving messages. I don't remember him leaving any messages with her. I think that her. she got notes back at one point in the film. I don't think okay. that he left messages. I think you're right. But I think that she got notes back and commented on that on another phone call. Yeah. Basically, very passive aggressive of him. How dare you not respond about our children, but you'll respond about this fucking piece that I'm writing about this documentarian, you asshole. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that was interesting. That, that's the read I got on it. I might. Yeah. Be. There's no, a lot. I think to, you're right. There's a lot to miss in this film. <laughs> There's so much, which is another thing, like way to go packing this much information into an hour and 45 minutes. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's 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 a lot of complexity in depth, which is the thing that I do enjoy about this movie, maybe more than I enjoy about like Budapest even, you know, and this is this is my my issue, right? Like my issue ranking Wes Anderson films is they each are kind of contained in their own little bubbles and they all have their own interesting kind of traits and tweaks to them. Um I, I read a thing when I was done watching the movie that said that this is not Wes Anderson's best movie, but it is his greatest. And I was like, that's an interesting take. And I think it's kind of right in some ways. It's not okay. his best composed movie overall, but you can see where it was going. And it was. Yeah. 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 I can see that. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'd need a more. You probably I need, need to read, to read review, that article but, in order to really yeah. understand um, yeah. fully, but I can see the 
it was just making points kind like of, Budapest Hotel and Moonrise Kingdom are more complete and like the Dejarlings and, you know, like all of the other Jarling or whatever, however that's pronounced, um, is uh, are, are more complete films in their own right. And this mm-hmm. is like a, a mostly complete, but like missing a couple of things, but still like telling a better a more emotionally resonant arc, which I agree with by the end. That was the weird thing. Like I said, I was like, I have to finish this because I don't I don't know why people like like this or don't like this. And when I got to the end, I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely like this. Like, this was a good movie because <laughs> um, it was yeah. just chaos for a while there. man. It really <laughs> is. It was, it was it's really like, chaos. What is going on? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, God, am point- I? Oh, I'm missing. Oh, oh go ahead. No, go. Go for it. All that I was going to say is I I think I missed the only character that we didn't really hit on inside of the or uh, kind of um, Ned inside of the relationship triangle with Jane and Steve kind of I mean Steve is tangential to the triangle he's kind of it's his own personal arc that he's dealing with no longer being the the hot young oceanographer who could sleep with whoever he wants um, but uh, what's his name Hennessy first name Al Allie. is it Al Hennessy Al- Al- Alistair Alistair Hennessy so he jeff goldblum's character um is very funny and his relationship with eleanor is very funny and his relationship with ziesu is very funny um his relationships his relationship with dogs is not funny his relationship with dogs is not funny that was i was angry and also (laughs) i think that that was the intent was to make you angry and to justify the thievery and everything else that had gone on it's to justify him as the villain yes and and not even the villain the foil i guess yeah and then he gets shot (laughs) i love that scene i fucking love that i loved that moment i was like yeah shoot him shoot him again like i almost wanted him to get hit again and then like live anyway (laughs) steven are you rescuing me fold doesn't he say i guess hmm? no he says fold he says fold, he says, and then gets I, I, yeah. I fold he's playing yeah, for cards some reason i felt like i felt like steve goes uh, is, maybe he shrugs maybe that's what he does it cuts yeah, back he, and he's he, like he just kind of does the yeah. sort of head cock yeah, he's like <laughs> all of the action <laughs> scenes too are just fucking hilarious because like no one can shoot <laughs> yeah and that's and klaus is taking cover in front of the vehicle <laughs> <laughs> I was like, someone's going to die this way. Someone's going <laughs> to die tragically because they don't understand how anything works. Also, they're all strapped the whole fucking movie. Like, they all have guns on their hips. They're oceanographers. What the fuck are you strapped <laughs> that, for? That is one of my favorite, favorite quotes of this film. Did the interns get Glocks? They all share one. <laughs> <laughs> I must have missed that. There's so many good. It's when, so it's when he's trying lights. to give Ned a Glock. He's like, oh, take yeah. it. Everybody has one. Hey, uh, what what was the name of the script girl? Anne. Anne Marie. Yeah, Anne Marie. Yeah, because he always says Anne Marie to- in, in yep. total. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I <laughs> I love that so much. She's she's funny. I didn't realize that this movie was rated R until the tits showed up, and I was like, whoa! All right, <laughs> we are in for a very different ride than I thought. Uh, yes. Yeah, but and then it gets very also, sweary at that point. Is never addressed and, and not objectified. Like there's no, not at all. There's no like. It's I just loved there. that. I yeah. love that about it because it it didn't play into that trope at all. Yep, it was great. Yeah, yeah. It it feels again. I think I've made this comparison a couple of times, and I think that Wes Anderson idolizes European cinema, but it feels very French. It feels like a very French move. 
yep. uh, in a lot of ways. So he just came so, out with a new movie, by the way. Did you know that? This is actually kind of timely that we're reviewing this. Interesting. Uh, the French, I didn't. The French Dispatch came out last week. So I will have to see that because his last movie was Isle of Dogs, right? Yes, of which I still haven't seen. It's we talked good. about we talked about reviewing we, it, but we, we talked about doing that for here, and I'm glad we did yeah. Life Aquatic better or instead because I liked first, it better. Yeah, at the very least, um, or first, uh, first, yeah, yeah. Either way, um, yeah. I hmm. There's a lot that is very, and that's where like I feel bad commenting on. Or I don't feel bad, but I feel like maybe I'm getting the wrong read on the intention of the sort of gay jokes over the course of the story. Right. Like, that's where I feel like I'm I might be off because the rest of the movie feels progressive enough where it feels like that is not meant to be offensive. But at the so, same time, the tone of the, the F the that F word is very hard. I don't know. Um, I didn't I didn't quite get it off of that. It was more the comments from. And even then, we know it's because he's jealous to a certain extent. But the comments from Steve about Jane calling her a bull dyke several times. Oh, yeah. That's also true. That's, yep. I, those blacked out, blacked out. (laughs) Those, those ones are the ones that are a little bit more egregious. And I think it's entirely the coping mechanism of this aging kind of washed up man Mm -hmm. who can't get what he wants anymore yeah that's a fair point i'd like to think that they're they're all intentional and therefore not they're for more than just shock comedy yes yes i would i would agree the the other part that i would i would tag in on top of that is that it is at the very least when you judge something like this or like a work as a whole you have to keep in mind that sometimes character like a 50 year old written from a different generation is going to have a different vernacular than the other people that are around him. Right. And so he can be an asshole, can be an evil dude. And you shouldn't necessarily put that on the authors directly unless the point of the movie is also to be spiteful towards, you know, if it's really punching down versus is it exposing a character that has a flaw? Like those, those are two very different things like punching down for punching down sake versus exposing a man who has a problem or has trouble it's the same reason that we can talk about lysander you know like in its own right um right not to not to bring that up but you know yeah. I, I think it's important because there are a number of stories that might have a character who's homophobic and that can be a thing inside of the story because they might be an asshole and that's kind of meant to be character building so that we understand that oh they're an asshole it's not meant to be the author's opinion that people should be homophobic like that's not ever exactly. what that means but unless, you need to build that depth in order to make them a real disliked right. character right potentially yeah potentially or whatever or you, you, whatever you it might be it a shorthand which could be awful but yeah yeah just to yeah. put a put put a bow on it yeah um yeah fuck dude mm-hmm. there's so much to talk about with this movie that's the thing yeah, like there yeah, is after watching it i was like i didn't expect to have so many opinions um and thoughts coming out of it but in the end I shouldn't I shouldn't be shocked that I did because it's Wes Anderson and I'm always left asking more questions mm-hmm. about everything. Yeah. Um, what did you think of completely shifting gears a little bit yeah. here? A lot of bit here. Um, what did you think of the score of the film? 
I thought it was very interesting to have the guitar guy playing almost the whole time, every scene that he was in, and mm-hmm. singing in a different language, and doing conventional rock songs in a different language for a lot of and it. they're, I think, all David Bowie. They are all David Bowie. I and think. also, and that's where I was also questioning it. Is yeah. actually performing them. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is playing them both in the moment and or otherwise in in different scenes. Like when he's in the sound booth, obviously, that's probably a recorded, Mm -hmm. you know, but I know Life on Mars is one of them. Life on Mars is actually played. The David Bowie version is played. And later it's also played in his language, which I Portuguese. It's Portuguese. I thought it was Portuguese. Okay, I wanted Mm -hmm. to say it was Portuguese Um, because it definitely wasn't French. I would have. Yeah, I could have intuited that. Yeah. and it wasn't Spanish, but I right. understood some but of the words. Close. So I was like, yeah, exactly. I, was, <laughs> I raised an eyebrow at the whole thing. Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. I didn't realize that it was all David Bowie. I knew that several were. I think um, it's, it might not be entirely, but I know of a, a lot of I it don't is. know enough Bowie is kind of the reality of that, too, where it's like, <laughs> I know I know enough Bowie, but I do not know the breadth of Bowie. Um, it did immediately when I heard the um, Man on Mars I immediately went and turned on the uh, Trent Reznor Watchmen rendition, which is okay. my favorite rendition of that song. It's just it's a very light, acoustic, soft kind of pillowy mm. rendition that I, I love. I think it ends like episode seven or eight. Um, it's one of one of my favorite things. It's actually not on the uh, vinyl soundtrack because they didn't get physical reproduction rights for that song. Ah, it was also the last thing that they did for the entire thing because they didn't think that they were going to get rights to it. And so that it was done like two weeks before release. So gotcha. Yeah. Anyway, um, random side fact that does not matter, <laughs> but we, we've got the acoustic Pele. Who's also the safety mm-hmm. guy, which is why Fucking- immediately when you said you texted me like three minutes into the film, I'm like, you're like, I know I'm going to like the safety guy and it's Pele. And that's why my response was, I think you're really going to like this, the score of the film. <laughs> I not only did I, I love that the safety guy in every scene was the most incompetent person, which is again, what's so funny. And where, where I get back to the film metaphor is that if we're looking at a film crew, which is these guys are also made out to be a film crew immediately for the documentary, but mm-hmm. it's kind of mocking the safety people on film crews intentionally saying like, yes, they might have the equipment, but they don't know what the fuck they're doing. They're off doing Jack all elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, He's playing guitar in- the entire fucking time. In and of itself, that's and not fully also, inclusive of all of everyone that does safety in films. But also, <laughs> it's clearly poking fun from a director's perspective from what he's noticed mm-hmm. on sets. And I think to drive that point home even further, the <laughs> there's a there's a line that I quote all the fucking time, and I'm sure you know it. It's who's the shit is Kingsley Zisu, <laughs> yeah. and they're talking about who's on watch. And it's mm-hmm. Pele, the safety guy, mm-hmm. and Ned. Yeah, Kingsley and Zizu. Yeah. Kingsley Zizu. Uh, yeah. And Ned doesn't show up for watch, and he's the only one get, that gets blamed for the pirates showing up, because Pele's there playing <laughs> playing guitar the entire fucking time. He doesn't even, he doesn't even hear him. Oh, he's man. sitting against the the wall of the ship looking into the ship he's not looking outside facing just the wrong way and like there are guns pointed at him as they're like coming on the ship and they're like and he just oh but nobody ever blames him for it like he never takes any blame 
I love just it. Just like he takes no blame for the death of um, Esteban right off the bat, right? Like, he he throws a fucking full <laughs> set of gear into the water for no reason, <laughs> like, just some air... <laughs> Like, the fucking back tanks? Like, I lost it in that and moment. Klaus has to jump in and save Zisu after yelling, like, somebody go save him. Yeah. It's just... It's like, dude, you're you're the safety guy. You should you should be the one to go save him. Did you know that? Did you know that you're supposed to do the saving? Did you did you save? You're, you're the saver, man. It's yeah, so I fucking... So I good. lost it. It 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 is so good. It it was so well executed. It was it, Pele's character in general was a great time. So many of these minor characters are so well executed f- throughout this film. Um, the only one that I felt like didn't get quite enough time was Anne Marie. Just like a little bit. Like I feel like I needed just a little bit more of her pushing back at a different point. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe to like make the. But at the same time, she represents the interns and like the right of people to walk out, and that also makes sense. Like it just felt like a little bit more would have gone a long way. Um, this is I also think, yeah. Even more of the interns would have been fun too. Yeah, yeah. Matthew but. Gray Goobler, Gubler, Goobler, um, who plays a lead role on. Um, Criminal Minds plays the intern that sticks around, who gets like the axe in him and stays, <laughs> or the knife or whatever. Um, and and that's just really funny to me. I was like, I think I know him, and then I saw his name in the credits, and I was like, oh fuck, it's the Criminal Minds guy. All right, sweet. Um, and I was just like, oh, this must have been like early work for him to some degree because he's mm-hmm. you know can kind of a bit comedy part, um, yeah. which is just cool. It was it was a cool cool scene to see, mm-hmm. cool thing to see. So. Taking it back to relationships, but not quite sexual ones, um, we get a sort of notable shift in the relationship with Ned um, from primarily being one of appearances for the sake of the film and just kind of, he he wants a father-son relationship for the film, but he doesn't want to be called dad because that's too real and whatever, um, to a very genuine relationship, I feel like. And there's kind of a subtle hint that that's changed in the moment, um, or a co- there's a couple moments that kind of play into it. He's talking to Jane and he's swearing, and she says um, something about effing instead of fucking. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he asks, "Why can't you just curse like normal people?" And the reason is because she wants to get out of the habit before. Delivering, delivering her fucking baby. Um, and later, Steve kind of parrots this, censoring himself to what the F instead of what the fuck in a certain mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. So it, it was a fun, very, very subtle, and I didn't catch this until this watch through. Um, but what you, what do you think of sort of his shift in relationship? The thing that I noticed the most personally uh, in in kind of this presentation was so Steve moved from here on out. He didn't really respect the choice immediately, but he did make changes. I didn't actually notice that what that like his self-censoring so much specifically with the word fuck later in front of his son, Ned, you know, in kind of that identical fashion. However, it did feel like he started to censor himself in front of his son and in turn started like think of him as more of such right again ned's not actually his kid but he's sort of his found child you know and even at the very end when the proposed 
it's super interesting. This is another one of those tiny nuances instead of the film. But when he proposes adoption to Eleanor, that tells me as well that I think Steve was aware that he wasn't his kid the whole time. Right. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't have to propose adoption because he's your child. Like why you don't need to adopt him. He he like had and that goes beyond the 30 year old yeah. thing. And I think that's specifically why he asks that is because he grew to love him like an actual son um, and care for him as one. And he wasn't thinking about him like that. He was thinking about that as like a means to an end in the beginning, which I think, again, gets kind of back to the movie metaphor thing. When we when we think about it, it's the means to the end is the beginning of the story idea, which is going to be the paycheck at the end of the rainbow. However, he falls in love with the story as he continues onwards and then is shocked by the way that it turned and changed on him mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so um it was a fun arc. It. yeah it's it's a very fun arc and i love their relationship and i love the way that it kind of grows and the way that they they get fighty i love the way that ned gets fighty in general um and like it goes from you know like when klaus first slaps him or does he slap klaus first slap, he slaps klaus no klaus slaps him and then he slaps back and klaus says if you ever do that again i'll fucking kill you or something like that no no klaus slaps him yeah and they they continue the conversation and he starts walking away he's like hey klaus one one more thing if you ever touch me again i'll kick your goddamn teeth in that's it okay <laughs> yeah and then he and then later ned asserts his dominance by slapping him and he's like <laughs> klaus like shrinks up and becomes like a small little turtle of a human um yeah love love those moments mm-hmm. kind of funny, I, very aggressive but i i think ned's arc is fantastic it's also mm-hmm. like him realizing who he is you know yeah yeah for sure um speaking of do you know what like where owen wilson comes from and what his natural speaking accent is because this sounded so strangely like specifically natural to me for some reason i i i don't know why but it's like weirdly southern kentucky is what he says but i don't know if that's exactly the accent he's giving that's interesting it didn't sound um proper southern but i do know where he was born he was born in dallas texas Uh, okay so he is southern but i would say that the kentucky accent felt a little off to me personally but also everything always feels a little off to me in wes anderson movies so like i don't even know how to (laughs) like some of it it feels like he coaches people in a specific direction so that it is wrong inside of being right because that lends to kind of the uncanniness of the whole thing Mm -hmm. it's impossible to tell that's my trouble with wes anderson i don't know i never know how to read it it's fun though it's It's great i have no problem with it it's just like it's always it's always a question there he is he is so good at what he does that he also leaves the question in your mouth of like did he mean to do that or am i just picking up on that like did he (laughs) did he mean that Dude, am I? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough, man. I, I really, I really did like this film, though. Like, I, as, as stated, like, not better than Fantastic Mr. Fox for me. Love it. All timer. Accidentally saw the movie when trying to sneak into an R-rated movie instead for the first time. I don't know if you've heard that story or not, but. um, So the story I heard was. Of our a group of our high school yeah, friends like trying to sneak into an R-rated movie and buying tickets Correct. for Fantastic Mr. Fox. Correct. Uh, the the and uh, goats caught. movie. The Men with Goats. Uh, uh, men Who Stare at Goats? Men Who Stare at Goats, yes. That was that was okay. the movie that we were trying to go see. 
and and said we nobody we was in the, nobody was in the fantastic mr fox theater nobody bought tickets to the other movie and then oh all of us is that what it was there at, no but it, both <laughs> oh both <laughs> so not only not only was there no one in the men at Star- who stare at goats but there was also no one in fantastic mr fox um so like we bought all those tickets to go see fantastic mr fox and no one was there and they're like okay <laughs> and then also no one had bought those and they were like okay um <laughs> And so we, we it, was, it was a case of entrapment, basically. Um, but we ended up going and seeing it. And like everyone else was talking and like kind of upset about like seeing this. But I was like I was I was focused and I loved it. And I didn't know that it was Wes Anderson necessarily at that point. I just really enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. I love that movie. The, a couple of the friends that I went with really liked it, too. But yeah, mm-hmm. I really oh, love that movie. Um, Timmy. That's actually Timmy. Um that fucking last name i'll think of it in a second anyway it doesn't matter um so that's that's kind of what i've got for like overarching beats and like actual story notes to like go off of so i'm just gonna like kind of bring up some quotes and see where the conversation goes from there absolutely um so right away first couple minutes of the film right after Mm -hmm. the vignette right after uh, if you want to call it the death i don't know if i don't know if it counts as a vignette at that point because it is, it is the what everybody's watching and commenting on. Is it a vignette? Yeah. Um, kind of, because it's also real. You know, like that's yeah. the other part of it. Like, it, because it's, it is both. <laughs> it is an in-universe movie, but it is a vignette to us because there's a presentation of events that happened before. So it's okay. almost a flashback if we want to even think about it further. Like this okay. is a flashback that we're being presented through the lens of artistry on behalf of Steve Zissou and team. But yeah. but he talks about wanting to go find the jaguar shark and kill it. And yeah. one of the questions from the audience during which several people are standing up and leaving like people oh. did not like this film mm-hmm. <laughs> during this Q and a, but that's an endangered species at best. What would be the scientific reason for killing it? Revenge. Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact. I'm pretty sure I've heard that quote before. Um, and I definitely think that. Did you send that one to me? I as brought well? it up. I, think, I brought yeah. it up when our like weekly question was about revenge, and I brought up that yes. quote, and I yeah. couldn't remember what it was from, and it was from this. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes <laughs> I sense. love it. Yeah, it's that's so good. Um, you yeah, know, I I think what's what's so interesting about the beginning of the movie, right? Is in particular. Um, there was, there was a, we've, we've chatted about this off air, I think more than on air, it might be in some devil's cut somewhere, but we talked maybe very briefly, maybe it was with Tim Pearson actually about it, um, in the wrath of man episode, but about the Snyder cut just a little bit, um, and sort of the aspect ratio ratio choices and all of the Steve Zissou film is filmed in full screen and presented with curtains or with other things obscuring it so that, so that Wes Anderson inside of the Steve Zissou film can achieve verticality with his characters. So they're standing, occupying most of the frames. So like the, the reason that you might box me in at this angle is so that I look big and imposing over the picture, which includes like imposing over wildlife. So again, I say 
aspect ratio is actually a creative choice and we've just gotten used to a certain medium because that's what we've been presented with from dvds and marketing standpoints from computers for so long like we we actually i'm not saying i'm not standing up for Zack snyder's choice in the 4-3 format in general but what i am saying is that i am more okay with movies potentially changing aspect ratio provided it doesn't sacrifice the viewing experience so I saw it a very different way. I saw it more sure. of a fact or more of the um, view of we are watching this movie now in widescreen, but it's taking place in the before times. You're not correct. necessarily before. But what I'm also saying is how it was shot specifically to occupy that space. That's so like fair. not just that the the presentation that we're seeing is in widescreen, but the way that it was physically shot to occupy what he knew was going to be that theater screen, right? Was intentional so that on the theater screen it was not going to be that we that we see inside of the movie, it was not presented as widescreen on the theater screen. Because mm-hmm. that would be in a universe correct, would be to shoot it at widescreen and then present it on the theater screen at widescreen. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, that, although the movie's also technically dated, like it's technically supposed to probably take place in the seventies. So maybe. the idea is kind of, as far as I can tell, Steve Zissou is kind of supposed to be an amalgamation of like Jacques Cousteau, who shows up in yeah. the not shows up, but is mentioned in the film. Yeah, name dropped a couple um, of times, and Steve Irwin, who you talked about right earlier yeah. in this epi- in, in this episode. Yep. Um, so, I mean, obviously both not oceanographic necessarily, but both wildlife. Yeah. Personalities. Um, so, and and dating before this film was made was, when did this come out and was Steve Irwin still alive? Oh, five. Oh, five. And I would go with no. I think he was. I think he died in like 20, 2008. He, he died in 2006. Yeah. So fair 2006. point. Okay. Yep. The, uh, the photo on Wikipedia is of him in 2005. Well, gotcha. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, we just took a little break for different reasons, but I just looked up the, uh, Steve Irwin, Steve Zissou thing doesn't exist. That's not the point. But there is a combination of Jacques Cousteau and Steve Irwin that is relevant, and that's <laughs> epic rap battles of history. So that's where that oh. came from, and that's why that's oh. in my head. So you know that they're still fucking doing that. Are they? Ac- when did that one come out? I don't. I don't know. think I actually saw it. I think I read about it at one point. Agreed. I think that I also read about it, or maybe I did see it and I didn't know who Jacques Cousteau was, and I clicked off of it almost immediately because that sounds also <laughs> like what I would have done at the time. Um, but yeah, Epic Rack Battles of History A is like a massive brand, of course, that is continuing. The last one it looks like was released in June: Ragnar Lodbrook versus Richard the Lionheart. Um, I don't know either of those. Now we're just reaching. <laughs> When, um, like that that seems like such a high school like our time in high school is like when that was big it was it was more college like the first was it more college okay so okay. in high school there were about 30 ish episodes out and then in college okay. is really when like the the rest aired um, okay so yeah like college age 
So anyway, gotcha. the, the point being here is that they are releasing uh, seven episodes this year and they released 11 in 2019 and released a bunch of unreleased episodes on my birthday in 2020. Um, what the fuck? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Epic Rap Battles of History. Funny. What? What a wonderful. Oh, shit, man. Tangent. What? Well, I just did something really dumb. What did you do? I have this empty glass. Yes. where my cocktail was and mm-hmm. throughout throughout the night when i'm listening like when I'm, when we're talking mm-hmm. i'll like sip on the the melt of the ice yeah, cube as it like melts right before we came back from break i poured a bunch of rye in there okay and so you <laughs> just drank go. all of the rye <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> What's uh, PJ? The problem here is that I can't keep you on the rails. No, 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 no. Because and you are hosting. No, I don't no, think we actually have that, but also, that much to go through right now. But you say that, but I have a whole diatribe to go. I'm just kidding. All right. I, I, <laughs> so uh, we've talked about revenge. We've talked about do the interns get Glocks? They all share one. We talked about that earlier. Also, once again, cannot understate how funny it is that they are strapped to the whole fucking movie. <laughs> like, all the time that I'm, like, seeing Klaus run around, I'm like, this fucking ex-bus driver has a Glock strapped to his head. Also, like, his waist. Klaus is the only one that wears shorts, but they're the same color <laughs> as all and the his other hat pants. has a ball on it. Everyone else's hat Every, is, like, no, regular. Nobody else's hat have... matches. Nobody's hat matches. They're all Doesn't different. Doesn't everyone have the red hats? They're, they're all red. No, but they're I all, thought they all had slightly the... different. His is the oh. only one with a ball, but like oh. Ned's has like I a stoplight it. on it. Um, got it. Okay, I took. Oh yeah, you're right. It's got like a stoplight on the on the on the ridge. Yep, yep, yep. I I recall that. You're right. That's fucking hilarious. I was just paying attention to classes because I noticed the ball, and every time that he turned around, and it just like swung around on the back of his head, and I was like, no, yes, <laughs> yeah. Willem Dafoe, a. Kills everything that he's in. Absolutely, B, he does. Destroys this role. Is so funny. It's so good. Perfectly is he, German. Is he actually German? I don't. With a name His like name Willem, is Willem. Yeah, with a name like Willem, that's maybe. And I can't get rid of that. Because um, I know he doesn't have a German accent in every film he does. No, no. So no, PJ. You want to know where he's from? Take a take a stab. I'll give you United States, but like take a stab where in the United States he's from. Hmm. I'll tell you, you I have relatives Idaho. that live there. Um, Wyoming? Appleton, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Interesting. Appleton, Wisconsin. Yeah. Where is Appleton? Appleton is like north uh, western. Okay. My grandparents lived there for a while, and we do have okay. a couple of relatives that live in the area. Gotcha. So not uh, near German, f- but he does do a German accent really well. It is like Southwest. I was actually r- totally wrong on the location. It is Southwest of Green Bay. Um, okay. I was I was thinking uh, there's some other Apple city that's in like Easternish um, near Hinkley because I also have family uh, on my mom's side that lives near Hinkley. Okay, but yeah, all my anyway, family lives in fucking Wyoming. Anyway, not Germany matter. is the not point. Germany. But he Wisconsin. does a very good job here. Yeah, an incredible accent. That is... Who's the shit is Kingsley Zisu? Yeah. <laughs> Who's the shit? It's... <laughs> Every... 
all of his lines. <laughs> Those are the deadpan lines that get me is every time Willem Dafoe has to open his mouth is amazing, hilarious, wonderful, mm-hmm. fantastic. Do you recognize me saying that all the time now, by the way? Who the, who the shit is Kingsley Zisu? I mean, it makes sense now. <laughs> like you, you say shit like that all the time. You say so many of these lines all the time. So it does make sense in the end. And I do understand why they're <laughs> quotable. And I do think that it's funny. And I think out of like I like I said in the beginning, I think out of most of the Wes Anderson movies, most of them I consider like unrewatchable because you watch it once, you get you get the gist of most of it. There might be some minor things that you could pick up on, with the exception of Fantastic Mr. Fox, once again, where credits mm-hmm. do. Um but this is one where I could see like re enjoying it because of the humor throughout. Because this one is laced so directly. Like this is more of a comedy than a lot of this his other is stuff. Very much a comedy. A lot of the other stuff to... uses comedy as a delivery vessel. Right. for uh for drama but whereas this one has drama and comedy in in between it like it doesn't really deliver even the drama is comedic like the whole like yeah you're uh, right. like even even some of those moments not all which is why i said the end is very cathartic like the last 10 minutes of the film right before you called me are all very dramatic cathartic strong mm-hmm. moments which is what i think it's great to end yeah. there which um, you, you called me and you're you're like i've got maybe eight minutes left in the film yeah uh because you were looking at the time and knowing how long credits usually take you're like ah maybe yeah. eight ish minutes i'm like you got a lot left <laughs> like, well and you were like it how really picks up i was like I don't know how I feel about it because I am right there at the finish line and it feels like you could go a couple of ways with this. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it's one of those moments where it's like, I could really like this based on the end or I could like be very indifferent to it and even dislike it. But so I I think what you said was, so I think they're about to find the shark based on the fact that they're in the helicopter. I'm like, all right. (laughs) And I like hung up the phone. It wasn't quite that fast. We talked about some other things. We did. Wise, we did. Yes, but yeah. like I diverted right. the conversation because I didn't want to. Yeah. 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 When you called, though, how did I answer? I answered with exactly what Klaus oh, had just uh, said. Oh, it, it was. Um, I didn't like it. Or I didn't just like it. Yeah. Um, Ned, I didn't just like it. I loved it. I fucking loved it. He didn't say it. I loved it. He didn't say I love it. He no, just I th- I saluted. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're you're definitely right. I just, yeah. man, Klaus is so good, so funny. And there are all those moments. And, like, also Ned and Klaus's, like, arc throughout this is <laughs> wonderful. And the way that they come together as, like, buds mm-hmm. in the end. Yeah. Um, fucking when uh steve like looks at klaus and they're talking about, like, A squad, B squad. He's like, you're the leader of B squad. You know that... uh what what's his name um eduardo it's not eduardo yeah, it, it's um Ed, uh I, i've got this as one of the quotes um don't you know me oh, and I, esteban at the duck. always yeah. thought of you as our baby brother i've always thought of you two as my dad's my dad's <laughs> it's just it's so funny don't let the, the others make fun of me for saying that yeah it's it's so good that quote is a genius but b klaus's character makes so many befuddling lines like that like says so many things and klaus's character in general is befuddling again because this man of whom is an ex-bus driver carries around a glock and is bossing people around (laughs) and what's his position on the boat i can't even remember i I don't fucking know (laughs) i don't know 
<laughs> He's a fucking nightmare. I love Klaus. <laughs> so, uh, so deep. A character that I love, and he's quite sparse throughout the film. Yeah. Um, but hilarious every time is Bill. You're a yes, Bond company Bill stooge. Bill is very funny. Well, I'm also a human being. <laughs> He's like he's like the opposite of what you'd consider like most accountants in most things. Like he's like guys, like <laughs> I am I'm real. I'm a legit person. I know that I do math. I know that I'm the fuck. But like <laughs> consider the fact that like maybe you don't want to kill me. Um, <laughs> God, Cody the dog too is so funny throughout the entire thing. Like all of the jokes. Like okay, not all of the jokes. There's one joke about Cody that's very bad. Wherein fucking. Alistair, Be still Cody. Fucking asshole. The Mick Goldbloom hits him with the uh I'm so glad that that cuts away so hard because it's very clear that they cut and move the dog. <laughs> like but it, it's also clear that that is the one thing that makes us not like him at all. That like seals the deal. Like yeah. he's he's made he's made several uncouth gay jokes. He's also been the recipient of a couple of uncouth gay jokes and then on top of that he fucking hits the dog and you're like <laughs> fuck this guy cody didn't even ask to be here he was left <laughs> and we adopted cody into this little belafonte family and you fucking hit him with your newspaper you ass <laughs> I, um, I i have nothing but so i was angry combining the two of these points between bill and uh alistar their their meeting later on How'd you guys get my espresso machine? Uh, We fucking stole it, man. (laughs) (laughs) How it it, like clicks in his head. And at the same time, he's like, I'm just going to take the insurance money. And like, you can see him like work it out as he's walking away. And as the camera's panning away to the other scene. Exactly. And and he's just like, he's thinking about it. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to do anything about that. Fair point. <laughs> I thought it was the pirates. I already blamed the pirates. I can't go back on this. Uh, yeah, I thought there there's so many different components of that that are so good. Um, also, all the machinery that they stole from him, like blowing up variously when they like needed to work when they're doing like film editing and stuff like that. Also great where it's like, oh, your money didn't buy you the best thing. There's a line to. It's in that same line when he when he hits Cody. Um, by the way, there's there's a die. I've I've heard several diatribes recently on character building about like killing someone doesn't hurt people. Most regular people as emotionally as like hitting an animal does. Um, and so if you really want to like create a villain, like often the sort of depravity that it would take a human to like lower themselves to beat an animal is worse than like killing a person. So um, that that plays into the film about filmmaking kind of deal because it's so co- stark and so sudden. Correct. But specifically, one of the things that I really like is when uh, Alistar quotes him what it's going to take to repair the ship. He's like, that's more that that's more than the budget for the whole project. And he's like, it's a quote. (laughs) (laughs) And that to me is like it it, it again gets back to that whole metaphor that we were just talking about. It is that like seeking producer thing. And then on top of that, it's like, okay, so we went to the VFX company to like fill out these VFX shots and they said it was going to cost this. And that's outrageous. And then the guy like the salesman for the VFX vfx company comes back and he's like yeah it's just a quote don't worry about it <laughs> like just sign the button and then we'll you can pay for it later and deal with it later and that to me is just another round of profundity and hilarity within yeah. this movie is so you know good. changing gears um actually 
tangentially related within the the Hennessy headquarter or not mm-hmm. uh off offshore base Pele <laughs> saying to Anne Pele and Anne Marie's conversation of do you know what this is like Anne Marie's holding a map and she's very concerned about it and he looks at yeah. it Pele does looks like a map <laughs> and like walks away <laughs> But it's her like realizing that they're about to cross into uncharted waters, which is or not mm-hmm. uncharted, unprotected waters where yeah. pirates run amok. Um, but just that, do you know what this is? Looks like a map <laughs> is so and fucking funny to me. All of the women are the only competent people Absolutely. in the entire story, in the entire story. And I also think that that Absolutely. is fantastic. Um and it it speaks volumes to the rest of the story and sort of the ignorance and like the oh man i, I love that the <laughs> they rest say of the eleanor crew... they say eleanor is the brains of team zisu <laughs> but what what are you steve he's the zisu it's it's so unfortunate because you can imagine that like it's it's like he's the star power like he's the big deal here and um we're like taking that quote at face value is funny but doesn't mean that much but putting that point on it that he has charisma he has star power mm-hmm. he has he's the marketable the fan element base. like he is exactly yeah. it makes sense there but I think it was meant to be more of the, like, he's the Zisu. It's a pull your heart out moment to me, man. Like, that's really like, it is, it is like both. It is confounding because you also, you want the very smart people to also be the ones who are recognized for their work and contributions, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's the smartest kid in the group project. And then, like, the lazy kid who ends up presenting it in the end. And, like, the presenter always gets the credit for the work that was done on the back end instead right. of the group project, right? So, in the end, who's who's better off in life generally? Generally, it's Eleanor. Like, all the time, as proven by this movie, it's Eleanor. Eleanor has won so many times throughout this movie because she's the smart one, not the marketable one. Right. Um, and, so, yeah. But I, I don't want to skip over Anne-Marie real quick. Anne-Marie's line there is is fantastic, and I think it also I think that was the moment when I like came to realize that it was like, uh, yes, she's the scriptwriter for an unscripted documentary, <laughs> which is <laughs> and then it all connected for me. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> she's just collecting a paycheck, which is hilarious because she's outsmarted all of the men on this production and is no longer willing to risk her life. And that's why she leaves. <laughs> I was like, fuck I mean, yes, it, Anne-Marie. <laughs> It's why she leaves, but also why she gets to just hang out and like suntan the entire fucking yeah, time. <laughs> exactly, because it's she's the script writer, and the fucking Steve does whatever the fuck he wants. Like no one's following a script. Like they're they're following. Steve is thinking of things that sound good, absolutely in the moment. <laughs> it's so good. Um, uh, but also yeah, that that one. Copy. By the I way, watched the first fifteen minutes when we were yeah. done, so that I could like catch some of these things. And I was like, "It's so perfect. Good. That it's is so genius." Good. Yeah. Um. It's. Uh, I think that quote I brought up. Um. 
And I might have misquoted it a little bit because I don't have it actually written down, but I think that's the only thing we hear, hear Esteban actually say, right? Like, I think that's his only line is he's the Zisu. That might be. I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. Which it makes sense because he dies fucking immediately underwater. Right. But wait, does he ask that on camera with Eleanor there? No, that's that's another kind of vignette. It's them okay, in, like a semi yeah okay. in, in right. an interview, kind of almost like night sh- uh, night show sort of style interview. Yeah, so much of that early, so much of that movie, the like first hour, not even the first hour, like the first forty five minutes, blurs in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things that we haven't actually talked about a whole lot is a lot of the camera work in this is ingenious and very in- indicative of. Uh, Wes Anderson style specifically the way that like the ship is cut in half and presented that way and like the camera follows them as they move but also it no like it it doesn't ever try to deceive us in the fact that we're staring at a set the whole time like yeah. it never it is very clear that it is like moving up the edge and you can see it kind of like you would a play like in the same way that you'd be presented watching a play you see the set of the ship until there are a couple of scenes where they'll they'll be like walking upstairs and then all of a sudden it'll cut to like the upstairs like the full ship in 3D from a different angle. Um happens specifically when like Steve and Ned confront each other is one one of the examples that I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh and then Jane shows up that that moment, that scene. Um yeah. they, with, the, and, with the punching. Yeah. So let, let's bring that quote up. Um <laughs> The ring. I'm sure it's the ring quote. No, no, no. It's, um, you never say, I'm going to fight you, Steve. You just smile and act natural and then you sucker punch him. You fight your way and I'll fight mine. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and then he punches him back, right? Like just shortly thereafter when when he's like responding wrong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, ah, yes. The, the son did learn very quickly. Um, Mm-hmm. that's funny I, I remember when he gets punched and he's like he's got a fat lip and he's like oh i think you got me with your ring <laughs> <laughs> yeah your your zisu society zisu. ring caught me in the lip zisu society like how much of a how many how many s's can we get inside of which also we know he got that ring as an 11 year old yes 11 and, and a half it, specifically specifically that's important uh, it is because of later important later um but actually not really because when i rewatched it when he got that like letter he was 12 <laughs> oh oh sorry sorry you you're actually right he got the letter when he was 12 it happens 11 and a half years later like the the scene with jane happens 11 and a half years later and he is 12 when she's talking in the postscript or like the scene with jane and kid happens when he is 12 yeah, yeah. There's something specific but, about but that. There, I do not remember well, the perfect intricacies. The kid but was it's meant to, because it was ha, it was six months to term inside of her over the course of the story. Originally, yeah. it was earlier, and then as the story progresses, the only real measure of time that we have is her pregnancy and her like stomach increasing. That is the only measure of time. Uh, yeah, which we haven't talked about at all. But yeah. regardless, I digress. Either way, sorry. I, I moved us off of the topic that we were talking about, which no, was the punching. No, th- that's this is the point of like these okay. quotes is to like go off on cons. It it does because there's no real like. There's obviously a through line, and it is chronological for the most part, other than the the notes couple of flashbacks of the band. Yeah, the, yeah. the flashback things, but the story structure is very loose. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and, that, and that's what I was what I was saying right at the beginning of this episode, too, is that the story structure is is very loose, but also it tries to be too tight. It tries to be too direct and tight at times. So it doesn't let some of that like looseness pervade itself over the course of the story. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't that doesn't perfectly make sense. But if you're drinking at home, you can probably follow me. If you're not yeah. drinking at home, I don't know if you'll perfectly understand what I was going for. Uh, instead, I will try to rephrase. The reason that I think vignettes do better in some of uh, Wes Anderson's later work is because he his through line is generally weaker, but more direct with a ton of scattered scenes versus this seems to have a spine through it that tries to move us along each of the different ribs attached to the spine. Um but does he instead, usually have a co co writer? Or in no? this one, he does. I know he not does in here. general, not in general. Okay, not in general. No, there's that his. Sense. I think his most frequent co writer is Noah Baumbach, and I think it's only on the two. Okay, yeah, gotcha. uh, yeah. I mean, again, very unique, very unique dude, very unique thing that he's that he's going for. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh Royal Tenenbaums was co-written with uh Owen Wilson. Okay. Rushmore so was th- totally there, Wes Anderson. There are v- That's the other thing. Wes Anderson has a very select few like loved actors. Owen Wilson is absolutely one of them. Bill Owen Murray Wilson is one of like them. Everything. Yeah. Um who else? There there's a few others that are in a more Edward than two. Norton. And Edward Francis Norton Dormant. is one of them. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, she's in a lot of the later stuff, I should say. Tilda Swinton, too, because I think she's also in Isle of Dogs, if I, I remember so. correctly. I think, I think so. she plays a character. Uh, I, I would say that basically as we move later in the discography, or not discography, in the um, filmography of Wes Anderson, he's written more things by himself, but earlier on he had a co-writer or a person to touch up once or twice. But yeah, I mean, needless mm-hmm. to say, he's... um. It's good. It's good. Uh, I will forever feel betrayed, though, that Fantastic Mr. Fox lost the Academy Award for Best Feature. I I think it should have. I think who who beat it? Uh, I want to say that, that it was, was a what Pixar 20, film. 20, 2010 10? was when when the film so it was released in two thousand nine. Two thousand ten is when it happened. Okay. Uh, it lost to Up, which is acceptable, actually. Uh, but also, I like it better than Up. Let's consider that it's other comp. So the three things it's important to consider when you're thinking about, you know, they don't. It's not rank choice voting or anything like that. Of course, it's it's just predominantly the votes are the votes. But Up, Coraline, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. All three of those are fantastic movies. Up is probably my f- favorite or second favorite Pixar movie. Honestly, I th- I think of the three of those, Up is my last choice. Maybe. I don't like Up. Maybe. As much as a lot of people up do. Up is emotionally devastating. And that's, it's like, it's a cheap shot. It, the whole movie is a cheap it's shot. It's not, though. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you are heartless. No. You would cry. <laughs> There's one kidding. there's one emotional shot of oh that that guy's wife died. 
Correct, but then the entire story is about him being a grumpy old man and trying to reclaim that innocence that he had as his youth. It's about like the reverse of the loss of innocence. It's about the game. I'm not of saying it's a bad age. film. I enjoy I it. I really I like the film. I think Coraline's better, and I think Fan- Fantastic Mr. Fox is better than Coraline. Both of those are adaptations too, which is interesting. Fantastic Mr. Fox being a rolled doll, and uh, yeah, I didn't know that. Um, Coraline being a Neil Gaiman, but yeah. Yeah, doesn't matter. Anyway, either way. Point being, uh, Steve Zisu, Steve Steve Zeus Zeus He says it a lot. It's Zisu. Yeah, I know it's it's Zisu. It I'm, I'm just in I'm the film. Around. It is um, definitely Zisu. <laughs> it is most definitely Zisu. I'm just I'm just messing around. Um, God, I really enjoy this whole thing i I don't Mm -hmm. i don't know how else to even like think about it um what other what other quotes do you have so are those hijackers well out here we call them pirates ned (laughs) (laughs) that is funny specifically because ned would call them hijackers because obviously he's a pilot pilot. and that would be that would be the thing um but yeah man genius Mm -hmm. genius line give it its due and it it brings up the uh, the one that I think is funnier after the entire incident with the with with the pirates, and and one of the pirates died because Steve shot him. Wrap the stiff in a tablecloth. We're gonna bury him at sea. Shouldn't we like give him to a, the authorities or something? No. And Klaus says, "I'll write up some words to say over him." um the the thing specifically that i love about that funeral scene is obviously the words being said over him and everything like that but then it's it corinthians of some sort uh it yes well it's it's played for humor right like that moment is played for humor and like the barrel at sea thing it's like oh this actually happens right and like that's okay but it's like it's not real right like we're we're all kind of like joking about it and then we lose ned and it becomes a much more serious burial at sea in which he has a coffin he has a coffin and also there's a bunch of air can or air uh kentucky pilots yes in present but why the sea burial is it because he died at sea is that like why they're choosing because then it's like they don't have to take care of the body like there there are a couple of questions there that exist and i don't they don't need to be answered necessarily but it does lend dramatic weight to like the idea of the burial at sea well because i think i think it's because steve says that's what he would have wanted i he does say that yeah i and 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 ultimately we don't know ned's disposition (sighs) truly but we know it through the through the through the uh frame of steve and regardless of steve's actual parentage to ned steve was a father figure to ned growing up through the steve zisu society like i'm just thinking about that too like the the important there like even if he wanted to steve would have told him the facts like in in the letter to steve it was a oceanographer yeah be something i can't remember and c pilot 
Like he wanted yeah. first and foremost to be an oceanographer as a kid. Yeah. So I I can I am happy with the way they did his did his funeral. Um, but yes. I can see there being some questionable choices and who made those choices for Ned. And overall, I don't feel like it is. It's it's not something that we should like sit and interrogate and question. But it does it does. It does pose, at the very least, if he knew the reality, what would he have wanted versus the reality that Steve's interpreting in his head. Although I think Steve, by the end of this, is much more clear-minded after Ned dies than anything else. And I think that he ultimately made the correct choice, and I think that's also showing Steve's growth. Like, Mm -hmm. so long way about it i think that steve made the right choice and i think that steve and ned were actually more connected on what he would have wanted in the end uh, do do you also assume that steve knows that he's shooting blanks yeah yeah i think i think okay. we made a point earlier about that that like we, he was we aware talked about that, it from yeah. eleanor's perspective we didn't talk about it from steve's perspective i think i made mention of something again very wes anderson maybe um where it was tucked in like a single line but i think that steve was aware that he could not father children um he does a good job of hiding that though yes and i think that that's a part of it because he says a line i think i can't i can't remember i made mention of it earlier in the show i know that i did um but anyway, the point being, I do think that he's at the very least aware of it and like kind of tragically aware of it. Like he doesn't want to admit that he's the problem inside of his and Eleanor relation, his and Eleanor's relationship. Hmm. So he chooses to instead ignore it and play Playboy and like maybe, continue maybe to try to play Playboy. That's the point of the. Um, it's worse than fucking shit i can't remember the term yeah, the, again. the the like her saying like the 30 34 year old joke i think that's that's both of them admitting it to each other that they knew that it was the other person's yeah. fault yeah which i think yeah. is also when i made this point originally okay um is yep. when we brought up that quote but yeah because i think that he's saying that and it's like he knows and she knows and then they continue to be together despite those things mm-hmm. um, there's also the fact yeah. that several different points throughout this movie they talk about like they ask people if there's familial resemblance and nobody says yes. Like, yes, that's interesting. Even, even However, Zisu says, I don't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, which that seems weird to me. That's the one that seems weird to me. Like him trying to convince himself that he's not his father. Because there's no familial re- resemblance. I don't think that he's trying to convince himself. I think that he's trying to say it for other people's sake because no one else believes it. Steve's a faker. Like Steve is in yeah. and of himself a faker for most of the story. So like he's faking it because he also is going along with everyone else's opinion. You know, mm-hmm. I think that also speaks to like generally his direction style of documentaries that we don't see is like he's been going with like people's opinion of what he should do when we see some of those reviews and the signatures and the old films versus like something that's real and honest, which is what this final you know project ends up being right um which i think lends to an interesting point in and of itself but it it does yeah yeah um let's move on to the next quote though yeah if you're not against me don't cross this line if if yes do 
And then Klaus steps forward. He's like, he's like, no, Klaus. <laughs> he's a, no, he's are, a, are, are you, you sure? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's are like, you sure? I'm with you. And then he yes, says, like, I am. Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Fuck. It's a uh, why. And, oh, man. And he's like, <laughs> and he, he, he said, what are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> Cross this line if you're going to quit. Oh, oh, do it again. I misunderstood. <laughs> I, I misunderstood. <laughs> Which, my bad. Intent, like, understandably, that's a really fucking, like, confusing line with a lot of double negatives. And Zisu was intending to confound because no one else understood, right? Like, no one else crossed the line when they should have. Like, Anne Marie and a lot of the interns ultimately crossed the line when he clarifies the, the simple language. All except one. for one. Yeah, except for, that's why I said, yeah. Um, but yeah, so like ultimately the reason that he pitched it that way is so that it was confuddling so that they would stick around because they didn't know that they had a choice to leave. <laughs> and then all of a sudden Klaus's fuck up gives them an excuse to leave the ship because <laughs> he has to put it in plain English and actually explain himself as opposed to burying it in his shit. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it was even that. I think it I th- was because I no one be- else. Everyone else was like looking around. I rewound that scene twice because I was curious. I, so, about that so one. Yeah. bring it into context of later where he's talking yeah. to Jane, who wasn't upstairs at the time because mm-hmm. she was packing to leave. Yeah, as well. Um, where he refers to it as like a tearjerker and the most emotional shit that he would have given her the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he genuinely thought he was being genuine and emotional there, even though it was just floundering and horribly like confusing dialogue. I don't think he was intending it, intending for it to be confusing. I think he just doesn't doesn't know how to actually speak. I think you might be correct, actually. In in <laughs> hindsight, I think that is actually probably the correct read, is that he didn't know that he was being deliberately confusing. But on top of that, it also points out that whenever Steve speaks, he is del- he is confusing. Like, he is... He's, he's trying to be eloquent and, and instead doesn't know how to be. It's confuddling, yeah. Like, it's not wrong. He didn't... Look, what he said was correct... It was just a lot of double negatives. Yeah. Like it, logically dissecting it makes grammatical sense. Correct. But you have to work your way out of all of the double negatives inside of the sentence in order to make it there, which is why it feels like it's, you know, right. but when he puts it in plain English, they're like, oh, yeah, I know what I want. Like, no, I want I'm, I'm crossing the fucking line. <laughs> Fuck yeah, you. Right. Right. I loved I loved in general when he um when he drew the line in the first place. I was like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? And then and he drew it in such an odd place too, like in front of those like two things, like also to make it uncomfortable. This is why I say this is why I think that it's just a tish deliberate is because of where he put the line and then the way that he speaks. Because yeah. you could have put the line back further from like the fucking things that are like the vents that are popping out for the lower decks there. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, you know, yeah, A or B doesn't doesn't really change that much. So yeah, yeah. Oh man, fucking. Um, so I I think there's only one or th- there's two 
quotes that we we didn't directly address earlier sure. and one that we tangentially did which was i suppose we could sew an n on the side of that octopus when ned was talking about the new flag mm-hmm. and didn't have himself included there yeah which was so beautiful i loved it it's, i loved the way they did that entire scene it's very sweet because Klaus is on, is also like you belong inside of this family, despite their like bullying relationship that had been going on for a long time. Like they're like co bullying each other thing, which is fucking mm-hmm. hilarious. Um, but then on top of that, like everyone else being like everyone else that was around, which I think it's just Steve and it's Steve, the, Klaus, and Ned. Okay, and because Steve, the like, the other like, person head, like yeah like the other person involved is Esteban, who's gone right on the flag itself, right? Yeah. 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 Um uh Yeah, I I think that the the other component that I really love about that that emotional scene with the flag is the moment that happens after he dies, right? Like after when we realize that we can turn the flag and it's a different letter, right? And that it still represents him regardless. Mm-hmm. Um it's uh, mm, <laughs> it hurts like that was a genuine like ouch sound that you heard there <laughs> um mm-hmm. an emotional it's ouch in- sound it's interesting but, that he put n instead of k though i think that that's also think, him admitting yeah you know truth in the name mm. that's fair but then in the end, the name that's presented in the credits of the movie, like in the credits of the documentary, is Ned Kingsley. Neither neither the last name before nor Ziesu's name, a name that he himself maybe earned um, in addition to his first name. Yeah. Because in, in the credits of the film, it's Ned Kingsley. So it's like, hmm, what do we make of that choice to like combine the names as opposed to taking the name, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's there's Kentucky only one name. line in the entire film that calls him Edward, which is his actual name. Yeah, when he explains his name, right? When he's talking to Jane. Or is it when he writes it on the letter? Uh, no, it, she, Jane is, Jane learns that he changed his name. Yes. And, yeah, that's right. And that's he right. says yep. Edward Kingsley. Yep. Yes. Yeah. She's um, like, that's way better. <laughs> Keep that name. <laughs> agreed. So I actually, I have a question here, specifically relating to the kind of the name thing and some of the, the details that go along around with um, Ned is the um, the letters, all of the letters that are, pre, that are pre-stamped. Are they also pre... I didn't understand the letters. That's the what I didn't understand. The correspondence stuff? Yes, the correspondence. All of, yeah, the, the, like, stack of letters that he had inside of the thing that he was asking her to take care of for him. That's what I didn't understand. So, um, my thought was, so whenever they wanted to on the ship, yeah. they could right. write a letter and have it sent off. Okay. All right. It That's not contextually relevant anywhere, but that was my kind of... That would be one of those things that I think that I would try to pay a lot of attention to in a in a follow up watch um, mm-hmm. would be specifically relating to why the letters, um, yeah, 
Anyway, that was but that was just it, a tangential thought. If you want to get even deeper into it without any sort of backup claim context, yeah. it's the only <laughs> thing that he's ever been given by Ooh. Steve. Yeah, that's a fair point. Although he did get his hat and speedo. Oh, of which we see no one's speedo throughout the whole thing, which is fucking hilarious. He doesn't, right? like he doesn't ever. He does wear a speedo. He he wears it in the uh, in the sauna. Or in the hot tub. Oh, Steve point. does. Yes. I know that I was saying is doesn't, doesn't Owen also or doesn't uh, Ned also at one point? Maybe. Maybe. I. You might be right. I might be wrong also. I can't remember. Also, I like how they never specify that they all should order the same style of shirts. Like it's a Speedo and a hat, but everyone has identical shirts on. Well, so. Of the crew. We do get a comment on that. Like, like the pajama um, shirt. When when steve walks into the room into the room with ned yeah. and jane ned starts putting on the shirt and he says yep. don't you fucking put on that uniform so it is a uni- it, it, it is a uniform issued to him okay that makes sense all right it's just not a part it's just it's not just not listed mentioned in the order yeah. that you know they do for everything else okay yeah. that makes sense it's just not mentioned right. that checks out um but still kind of funny. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So we you, mentioned, we mentioned quit? the, the gunshot of uh, the, the quote of Steven, are you rescuing me? Fo- I, I fold and Allie gets shot. Mm-hmm. So we, 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 we've gone through that conversation, but um, great scene. I Wonderful suppose scene. I can sew an N on the side of that octopus. I think we just talked about. We just did. Yeah, we hit that extent. one. So the last one I've got is, I still wish I could breathe underwater. Me too, Ned. Which to me was like the most heartfelt part of this film. I loved this quote. It does feel like that admittance... Because it's specifically after uh, Steve presents the old letter with the mosquito that he named after him, right? Like the Zisu. I still kept mine too. Yeah, I still kept mine too. The the court the original letter because he kept the correspond. He kept the receiving. Uh, Ned kept the letter that he got from Steve, and Steve also kept the letter from Ned. Yeah. Um, which is also interesting because that kind. <sighs> That is maybe the most difficult choice to parse, but again, it could also be like that it's just so important to him that like he does keep all of like the fan mail that he gets because he actually does appreciate the position that he's in. I don't think that's the case. I think it was specifically because of the the, zoology aspect. No, because of the connection to his mother. Even if he knows he's not his son. It's still a past relationship that he's holding on to. Potentially. Yeah. It, it It's something more than just a fan. I feel like I would I would disconnect it from the mom a little bit because I feel like my mom met you is not the same as like and again, like a kid's not going to know the difference. And so there's there's a lot of like stuff in there. Um, yeah. Have to figure that out. Yeah, but that, I think that'd that, be that'd be a couple I, views specifically trying to parse that out. I think. I think. 
I think specifically, though, the one thing that I want to talk about in relation to the letter is so the choice here. Rather, not the choice, but the reason that I think that Steve kept that letter, that final letter, is because he lists off the careers that he wants to do and he puts Steve's career inside of that list like he values that. And so Steve's like, I've inspired someone else. And so he keeps that in his own head. And that's why he keeps the letter in addition to his own. Maybe at the time, like nascent idea of like, oh, this kid named a gnat after me and like caught a gnat and mailed me a gnat. Mm. Like, that's so cool. Um, but we, I, we do also know. We know that. Steve knows this. This kid's mom. Yeah. And we know that this kid's mom told him at his birth that he was the father. We know that. He was told that. Yeah. Even if it's not true, we know that he thinks that's true. Or it was told that that's true. It's not necessarily... so tough to parse, yeah. It's a lot. Again, it's a lot to parse. I, I want to I want to try to thematically separate this just a little bit. What I'm what I'm trying to say is that when he received the letter originally when he like received the letter it was it was a vain thing he liked it because of vanity for one reason or another be it the fact that like the kid called out that he was an oceanographer or be it that like a mosquito gnat was named after him the the za soup right um however i think in the end the reason that he comes around to the letter and realizes that it's even more important could be because of the the childhood connection the mom connection and, and those things but i would instead maybe pause it without doing the research on the former say that it could also be that he is leveraging this as an emotional resonance to be like i realized long ago they were more important to me regardless of whether or not you were my kid because you recognized your appreciation for what i actually tried to do mm-hmm. does that make sense like yeah the mom does. thing the mom thing can play into that that's like an additional aspect to it or the potentially a counter aspect but at the very least i think it's vanity at the beginning it's love by the end yeah i'm with you which I think is also the way that you can build the view the two documentaries that were per, that were given right like the beginning one is vanity that ended in tragedy and then the the later one is instead tragedy but like real love yeah 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 I'm with you um do you have anything else that you want to cover? You can also sum up most Wes Anderson films as white people problems very easily. I'm sure you can. Yeah, uh, that's that. That was it. That was the final point. That was that was all. That's um, fair. No, I honestly, dude, love. I really enjoyed the movie. Glad that we watched it. Glad that we got to talk about it. Um, glad that finally came around to watching the whole thing because I've there. I've seen bits over the years, which is why I've always said that, like, I've seen Life Aquatic and I know enough about it, but like, I've never watched the whole thing. And so it was nice to finally, like, see the entire movie and kind of understand because I remember walking in when my parents were watching it for like 20 minutes and like walking out because walking into the middle of this movie is confounding <laughs> there's no way <laughs> it you can is. understand it um, so yeah after spending two hours dissecting it do you still like it what do you think mm-hmm. what give a like in this moment what is what are your thoughts on the film 
All right. So I've spent a lot of time over the course of the last week listening to a video gamer review tons of fucking different video games in depth for five hours at a time per game. This guy's fucking nuts. His name's Action Button. He previously ran a website and gave things like out of four star reviews, gave half stars, things like that. I came up with my own rating system while I was listening to this guy. And I was like, this is this is maybe my time to deploy it. PJ, what number do I never give things? Seven. I never give sevens. Why do I not give sevens? Because it's the go-to, I don't love this, but I don't dislike this kind of yes. point. Like it, it's, the, it's the bullshit point. I've settled on a three-star rating system. I've settled okay. that two-star is good, three-star is best, one-star is okay, and like if you like that kind of thing... You might like it. And zero star is I do not recommend to anyone. Does that so make sense? So it's a four star system. But like we have to keep in mind that like zero exists, right? Like four star okay. systems are effectively five star systems I, if you I, think about it that really, way. But yeah, it's it's a five. We just it's have a to four, consider, yeah, it's a right. four point system. Yes. Four point system is probably the way to put that. But the max score yep. is three. So. Um, yep. so I would give this movie a solid two. I would okay. say that it is it is not it is not my favorite. It is not one of the best movies, but I would recommend it more often than most. It would it's close to a one only because I think I could only recommend it to some people. However, I like it enough to recommend it to people that I know would like it. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fair. All right. For, Glad that for, you were able to explain my rating system. Now I've got a new one. <laughs> that's good. That's great. For whatever reason, this spoke to me a lot. Mm -hmm. I think I saw it at a very impressionable time in my life. Um, Freshman in college is when I first saw it. Um, So I think that probably plays into the reason why I like it so much. But at the same time, it holds up for me seeing it now after all those changes and all those like life updates, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am a very big fan of deadpan humor. So this perfectly falls into that respect. So, you know, I don't know. I love it, but I, I completely respect your two. Yeah. I, I think again, two out of three, is not at all bad that's a great score it's not again my threes are reserved for the films that i like the most that's a looper that's a rogue one that's like so are you are you giving yourself the option for two and a half or are you just touching that until i want to until i want to and then i'm gonna do the reason that i have three stars (laughs) is because even with half stars pj it's i i it's only nine you see that you see how i did that like i removed seven effectively with a three-star yep. system even with the halves yep yeah i thought about That's this fair. for a long time i know you did <laughs> i'm sure you did i was like if i decide to actually publish and run by this ranking system it would abide by all of my rules um mm. yeah i thought about it for a while anyway all right well with that let's wrap this shit up this was pj's symposium of media and whimsy we have discussed Wes Anderson's The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou for the last two hours or so. And 
I love that you are here to listen for it. So next month, right now, <laughs> what we're deciding to do is the mini series of Chernobyl from HBO. So I think we're going to do it segmented in a sort of way. And that will it's going to be, be yeah. it'll be pre- presented very differently than the typical episode format for this show. What we settled on doing because we both watch some of the episodes. We both have feelings about individual episodes is instead we are going to deliver in addition to our normal weekly podcast, a 30 to 40 minute episode breakdown show weekly to you from PJ symposium covering each of the individual Chernobyl episodes and then a wrap up on the series in post, including a lot of the behind the scenes things, etc. So this might last more than next month. This will cover December and January. Yeah. It's not might. It will. It will. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the next two months will be weekly or slightly more than weekly. Slightly less than weekly, I guess. It'll be weekly. It will be weekly. I will ensure that they're released once a week, regardless of how often you and okay. I record the episodes. So I am um, thinking about our recording schedule. Yes. Yeah. Not thinking about Crossing the recording schedule. Thinking, thinking about the release schedule. These will be the, released weekly. Yep. So the next the next two months will be weekly short form episodes of the symposium covering Chernobyl, which I like this a lot better. Because I was I really dreading I a better approach to it. Yeah, I was dreading the way, like the idea of us breaking down the entire miniseries it was, as a single episode. So it was going to be such a like an overstated nightmare to like think about it that way. And I'm glad, like again, I think that a big point of this is we have to keep ourselves within our time constraint because we don't want to demand from both mm-hmm. of our regular shows, like our regular yeah. podcast, and that an additional four hours a week of people's time like that's insane so like if uh, we keep this one tight i will guarantee that cross and i will be there for every episode i can't say the same for tolson who i want to be there as much as possible because he loves this as much as i do um but I can't guarantee he'll be there for every single episode i absolutely want to him to be though yeah yeah everyone that he can make we'll definitely have on although yep. i think that will also extend the runtime which isn't problematic it'll be a grand time yep. cool all right well this was right. great really glad that you showed this me this was movie. a ton of fun yeah uh, ultimately are you happy that i showed you this movie yes i am very happy that i watched this movie today i'm only a little upset that i had to divide it kind of into two chunks um yep. because of that's the, fair everything else going on today but it was it was a short chunk of like 20 minutes at the beginning and then a long chunk of the rest of the movie. So, right. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, I Sweet. will see all of you next month. Same. And on Thursday. Well, with the regular you know show. That already. <laughs>